0: Hi, everyone. My name is Brad. Uh, hi. Thanks for saying hi. Over here, not so much. You're like, oh, uh, it's Brad. I heard that. Um, hey, I love this passage. Here's why. There's this glimpse of humanity within the disciples, right? Uh, we tend to think about people in the Bible as they never, their feet never really touched the ground. They were holier than thou. And here in this passage, this is like a real thing. Jesus was confusing. It's okay to say that. Jesus confuses us. Some. There are things that we'll read in Scripture, and, and I've read a lot of it, where we walk away going, yeah, I have no idea what that means. Uh, there's things in Scripture that are confusing. There's things in Scripture that are difficult to understand. And it's really okay to say that. It's really okay to admit that sometimes the way God moves and God works is confusing, nothing's going to hit you in the head in the form of lightning, no one's going to kick you out of the church, sometimes the Bible's confusing, and right here, right now, in this thing, we see very clear, Jesus is confusing, the Bible's confusing, the Bible, uh, if, if someone uh, if, if someone says that they have all the answers to the Bible, and they're approaching it like an encyclopedia, uh, encyclopedia for you younger people is what we had before Google, Uh and and they they think that we they can get everything and they understand it so clearly ask them a question cuz they probably don't there are things that even the smartest people in the in the world that study scripture will look at and go yeah i don't know that one's a confusing one and that's the beauty of it We can embrace the questions. We can embrace what is clear and what is not clear. Uh, And and so what Jesus is talking about here is confusing to the disciples. This has been a long night for them. And and now they're getting to this part and Jesus is talking about going away, but then coming back and then doing this and that. And and they, they just don't get it. And so, but there's there's something that we can look at in, in this passage that we can walk away with. In this passage, we're 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 greeted with this these things that we don't know. There's seasons in our life that we don't know how things are going to go. There's seasons in our life where things won't make sense, people won't make sense. We don't know whether we're supposed to move or not. We don't know whether we're supposed to date this person, marry this person. We don't know if we're supposed to retire. We don't know if we're supposed to do this or that. There are times in life where it's just confusing. There's seasons in life where people will fail us and we don't know why. There's seasons in life where people will not encourage us. There's seasons in life where we'll be in poverty. There's seasons in life when we will have excess. There's all these seasons and all these times in our life and we never know when they're going to come. We never know how long they're going to last. And it's just, it's confusing at times. And it's perfectly fine to admit that. Here Jesus is talking to the disciples about the uncertain future that they all have. And Jesus shows the disciples that they can that there's some things that they can know with certainty and there's certain things that they aren't going to know. And then he gives them a little clue but here's here's what you'll do in the meantime. And so what we'll learn today as we look at the as we look at this scripture we'll learn that through our difficult seasons uh, we'll be able to still have hope. Uh, And so we're going to ask those three questions. In our difficult seasons, what can we know for sure? What do we not know for sure? And then what do we do in the meantime? What do we do now? Okay, so go in your Bibles. John 16, Kirk read it. The story we're, be, we're going to be reading today actually begins in John 14. It's one of those famous passages, uh, and it's the, the farewell discourse. It's Jesus saying goodbye. Uh, and and we, we tend to read this, and And if you're like, this actually begins in, in chapter 13. So it's a long time. This is all one night for the disciples. It's the strangest night they've ever had. It started with supper. Uh, we call it the Last Supper. They just called it dinner where they all sat on one side of the table. It's, it's the Last Supper for Jesus. This is the time where, where everything's coming to a head. Judas, so imagine you're a disciple. You've been following Jesus for three years. Uh, you've been, fo- you, you want to be, you've left your business. You've, sometimes you've walked away from your family. You're with him. You've given up everything. And now you're sitting at dinner time and then he starts talking about someone's going to betray him. And you're looking around the room going, not me. Who is it? And then all of these things that you knew for certain about Jesus started to just chip away. It starts in verse, in chapter 13. Judas betrays him. And then Jesus predicts Peter's denial. This is all the same night. And then Jesus starts talking about, I'm going away, but where I go, you can come too. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In, in John 14 and then John 15, he starts talking about, plants and vines and branches and by this time the disciples if i'm in their shoes i'm going what on earth is going on here and then in in the last part of chapter 15 it says the world's going to hate you which isn't exactly encouraging and then in 16 he starts talking about he's going to go away and then all of a sudden jesus is praying for everybody in john 17 and you're wondering whoa that was a long night so put yourself in their shoes They're a little bit, I think, they're a little bit brain fried. They've just had a lot of information dumped on them. And now Jesus, the person they followed for so long, is saying, I'm going to leave now for a while. Jesus tells them that it's going to be difficult. Their next few years are going to be difficult. He tells them that four to five times. It's going to get hard for you. And he's doing this for a certain reason. He's telling them it's going to be difficult not so that they will run away, not so that they will be afraid. He's telling them it's going to be difficult so that they'll stick with it. And that's the first thing that we can know. The first thing we know, in our lives, we're going to have trouble. He mentions this four times in three chapters. You're going to have trouble. In the times of your uncertainty, you're going to have times where it's going to be troubling and he's doing this so they won't fall away. He's doing this so it can, they can they can be encouraged, so that they'll stick with it. And so here, here's what it kind of works like. Um, one time I was taken on a hike. Uh, if you know me, I, I'm not a hiker. It's just walking in the woods with a good view and then a long walk back. And so I was told this morning, not this morning, but this morning I'm telling you about, I was told, hey, you're going to go on a hike with me. There wasn't an option of, can we not? It was just, you're going. My first question, how high are we going to climb and how far is this hike? I've been on hikes that have gone way too long. And, and the person who says, oh, it'll be fine, let's go. And he hands me a, a, a bag of, with some water and I'm like, all right, how bad could this be? We're going and we're about three miles uphill at this point, And I'm like, this is awful. And he's like, yeah, we're about halfway there. Come on. And then we're going to start the rock scramble. And for some of you hikers, you're like, this sounds wonderful. And I'm sitting here going, no, this sounds awful. They made chair lifts for this kind of thing. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm just walking along. And I, it's about halfway up the rock scramble, which I've seen free solo. And the rock scramble felt like free solo uh, to me. And uh, I'm up there going, I just want to somehow figure out a way to climb down safely and go home. This is awful. But no, we kept going. And so this is what I'm thinking. If this person would have said, Brad, would you like to go on a hike? And then I could have had the option yes or no, and I probably would have said yes because I'm, you know, whatever. I've always wanted to try it. Maybe I'm wrong. So if you want to go on a hike, let me know. I'll say yes, and we'll see if it's better this time. But if he would have said, Brad, we're going to go on a hike, and if, I would have, and if he would have answered my question with... You know, it's we're going to go up for about three miles, then we're going to hit a rock scramble, and then it'll be fine. Then you've got another about three miles, but the view is going to be great, and then we walk back down. I would have been like, okay, I can handle that because I knew what was coming. I knew what to expect. When you know what to expect, it makes the hard times a little easier, right? So Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, this is going to be hard. People are going to betray you. Things aren't going to go well in your life. All so that they would know that, hey, this is exactly what Jesus told us would happen. It's going to get difficult. And in John 16, 1, he says, I'm telling you this so that you may not fall away. He gives them the details of what, why it's going to be so hard, what's going to happen to them in order that they remain strong in their faith. The first troubles that Jesus talks about are social troubles. In, in 16, verse, uh, verse 2, says this. He says, I'm telling you this so you not fall away. And then verse 2, chapter 16, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are doing a service to God. And they will do such things because they have, they have, not-, they have not known the Father or me. In other words, you're going to run into trouble and the so the people who are troubling you, the people who are going to hurt you the most are going to be the people you know. It's going to be their synagogue people, the people in their community. They're going to say things about you. They're going to try and kill you. They're going to put you out and in doing so, they're going to be thinking that they're doing God a favor. Has this ever happened to any of us? Have you ever been hurt by the people you know the best? those seem to be the people that hurt us the most when I was when Carrie and I were getting married my brother did the did the service and, and he and I were talking over the phone he lives in Texas we could pray for him uh, but he as we were talking he goes yeah marriage it's kind of like handing someone a loaded weapon and saying don't shoot because it, you're the person who you are closest with is most likely the person who will hurt you the most and you hope they don't but the people who hurt you the most are usually the people you know because you've trusted them. This is what Jesus is saying. Look, there's going to be some relationships that come up in your life and you're going to experience some people that are going to hurt you and they're not going to apologize. They're going to say things and not think twice about it. They're not going to ask you for forgiveness and they won't feel like they need to. Uh, and this happens all the way through Scripture. In Acts chapter 7, we see the story of Stephen. Stephen's a known person. He's in the synagogue. He's drugged outside of town, and he is stoned by people he knew. And this stuff happens. Jesus foretold that this was going to happen. Stephen even says this. So this has been happening a long time before Stephen. In Acts 7 verse 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? So this is a, a thing that's been happening ever since the prophets. And Stephen says, this is happening to him now. People he knows are the ones who are hurting him. Jesus is saying, heads up, the hardest pain you experience will, become, will come from someone you love. And we know that. Some of us have parents that have failed us. Some of us have spouses that have betrayed us. Some of us had had friends that turned their back. Someone we thought we could trust, someone that we thought we could count on in some way or another has failed us. And Jesus isn't cheery telling him this. He's being honest with them. He's just giving them a look at the real world. This is going to happen to you. So when it does, remember and stay strong. Don't be shaken. This is, I'm telling you this so you won't fall away. Something in our life is going to hurt us. The same is true with us as it is for the disciples. This isn't a warning time for us, though. Sometimes we think someone hurt us, someone caused us pain. So the first thing we do is we say, I'm never going to trust anyone again. This isn't what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, lock yourself in your house, throw the deadbolt on, order everything from Amazon so you never have to leave, see if you can work remotely, never step outside again, never trust. That's not what he's saying here. That's not the right response. Just because you get hurt while dating doesn't mean that you'll never love again. Just because you were hurt by a parent doesn't mean that you'll never be a good parent. Uh, Just because a church has hurt you before doesn't mean that they're always going to hurt you. We don't give up. We don't walk away because something bad has happened to us. Those things happen. Jesus said they're going to happen. I'm sorry if they've happened to you. But the response, the improper response is to run away and never love again, never trust again. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you this so you never do that. I'm telling you this so when it comes, you'll know how to respond. You won't be surprised about about this. Someone will hurt you, it doesn't mean everyone will. The first one is social. The second one that he talks about is highly personal. He says, Truly, truly, in verse twenty of sixteen, uh, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Uh, we can know that there will be times of grief in our lives that are unavoidable. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to avoid it, you will experience grief at some point at some day in your life. It's going to be your turn sometime to have something happen to you. I remember sitting in the ICU with my dad at UCLA and this he had a couple trips in the ICU. This was his first one. And I'm sitting there, mom and my sister went to get something to eat. And I'm just sitting with my dad watching TV. And uh he looked at me and says, How you doing? And I'm like, You're the one hooked up to machines. You tell me. And he goes, Yeah this happened to my dad. Uh, it happened happened to me uh, in, in the mid-80s. And, and now it's your turn. And he wasn't saying this to be a kind of a jerk about it. Uh, he was saying this like, hey, this is something that happens in life. You're going to experience the death of a loved one. It's going to happen. And he told me this. He said, this is your turn. And, and honestly, after he died about a month later, it made more sense. It's like, oh, this isn't just happening to me. This will happen, sadly, to all of us. Someone in our life, someone close to us, will pass. It's going to happen. And it'll be your turn to walk through grief. Jesus is saying this to the disciples. Troubles will come away. There will be a time where we weep and we mourn. Ecclesiastes says a time for weeping and a time for joy. This is life that happens to us. There are going to be troubles And the crazy part about grieving, for those who have went through the grieving process, the craziest part about grieving is that there are times when you are still grieving, but everyone's walking around you like nothing ever happened. You're in the middle of grief, yet the world around you seems to be rejoicing. That's the hardest part about grief. Sometimes the world seems to move on, and you're stuck, they're making plans, but you can't stop tears. Though you want to be over it, or however we say this, you want to get through it, you're there. And you're stuck in the grief. But I love the way this verse ends. Jesus says, you're going to have grief. I'll tell you, that we, the world will rejoice while you're weeping and mourning. And he says this, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So what, what do we know for sure? There's going to be times where people betray us. There's going to be times where we're stricken by grief. And the last thing, we're going to grieve. But in our grief, it will turn to joy. Sometimes the best mountaintops, someone hates hiking. Sometimes the best views from that long walk in the woods come after the longest valley. Uh, we were walking in Yosemite once, and we were trying to get the clouds rest. This is the time we got lost on the way back. And uh, this is another reason I don't hike. Uh, but we get, it was, it was an awful walk it was an awful hike, but we get to the top of Clouds Rest and you're looking down at Half Dome. Sometimes the best views come after the longest time in grief. Sometimes the best joy you know is because you've experienced true sorrow. So what Jesus is saying here is absolutely true. Your joy comes after grieving. Then he gives this story about childbirth. And, uh, a woman giving birth to a child has pain uh, because her time has come. But her ba- when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because the joy that, the child, uh, that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take that away from you. I asked my wife about this because I've never had a child and, and I was there both times and I heard how painful it was uh, and I said, is this true? I mean, I've had a kidney stone, which is pretty bad for guys and I know we are wimps. And I'm like, I never want to do that again. And I can remember that pain. And she goes, it's very true. Why do you think we had two kids? Because it was it was worth it. I said, yeah, but it wasn't good enough to have a third, right? <laughs> and she goes, that's precisely correct. <laughs> <laughs> there's, go, there's times of grief. Grief will come. And we can know that we're going to have troubles. And in a sense, it's kind of like, oh, it's... It's going to be hard, but those troubles bring about joy. We can know we're going to have troubles. We can know those troubles bring about joy. Now, what we don't know, that's what we know, what we don't know, everything else. Let's pray. There's things that we don't know. And if you're like me, it's what you don't know scares you the most. It's that time between going to the doctor and waiting for results. It's the time before you put yourself out there and the impending rejection that you catastrophize in your head. It's the time in between that really bothers all of us. It's the waiting. It's true in the Bible. In verse 16 of chapter 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples began to whisper to another, What does he mean by in a little while you will see me no more? Then after a little while, you will see me, because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does this mean a little while? We don't understand anything that he's saying. And I'm like, Yes, thank you. I, too. Me too. But notice the promise that troubles them. Uh, In all of this that you're reading, he's talking about the world hating them. He's talking about being kicked out of their community. He's talking about being killed. He's talking about all these things that's going to come against them. And what bothers them the most in a little while? And I can almost see Jesus going, of all the junk that's going to happen to you, that's what you focus on? The little while? Come on, really? That's the easiest part. And Jesus says this. Are you asking what I meant when I said a little while? Then after a little while, you'll see me. Yes. That's the hard part. What's the little while? In Greek, there's two words that are piled on each other. It's two words. Mikron, mikron. And mikron by itself means a little and so when Jesus says, a little while, a little while, it would read like this. Macron, Macron, you won't see me. Macron, Macron, you will see me. And it's said as a reassurance, in this short little while, it's like little, little, little. It's, it's a little bit, you won't see me. But that little bit is what's throwing the disciples for a loop. How long is that little bit going to last, Jesus We've pinned everything on you. How long is this going to be? Uh, we have an advantage when we read this because we know what happens, right? Most of us at least do, I hope. We, we know that Jesus is talking. This is the night before he's crucified. It's the night before his res- uh, uh, he goes to the cross. We know that he's talking about the cross. He's not talking about the end times, which people get confused here when they say little while. He's talking about what's going to happen tomorrow, not necessarily the future bit. He's saying, I'm going to go away. We know that it's only for three days. The disciples don't know that. They hung their livelihood on everything that's happened, and now it's crumbling. And I can understand the anxiety that they feel. They're not going to see Jesus. Everything that they've hoped for is gone. Uh, it's sort of like they're learning. Have you all heard of object permanence? I, I learned it when we had a, had a child. Uh, Judah used to freak out when we'd leave the room, and because when we leave the room, we no longer existed. And so this is what they're learning. They're learning that, that just because they can't see you doesn't mean that you're not there. It's fun to do it with Caleb. My son Caleb's five, five months old. And so I'll hold him like this, and he'll look away, and he won't be able to see me. And then he'll fixate onto something over there. And then he'll come back and look at me. It's like the first time he's ever seen me. Oh, hey, good to see you. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm still here, kid. And I'll be here for a while. But it's it's the object permanence. Object permanence is the idea that just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And the disciples are needing to learn that with Jesus. There's going to be a time where things are going to get so rough and it's not going to feel or seem like you can see Jesus in the midst of it. Sometimes grief is going to happen to you and you won't be able to see Jesus through the fog of it all. But it doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. This is what he's trying to teach them. We think that we can work through grief with the cycles. In fact, we name the stages, and we think that, oh, it's fine. If I go from here, then I'll go to here, and then I go to here, and I'll be out of it. We think of grief as linear, and we can get through it. But sometimes you're in it for so long because grief isn't linear. Hard times aren't linear. Sometimes hard times are cycles and cycles, and then the cycle stops, and then something happens, and you're back in it, and you thought, I thought I was through this. Sometimes the grief goes on for so long that you lose sight of the what path that you're walking. And we lose sight of Jesus and we begin to doubt. This happens in the Bible too. You can find yourself on every single page of scripture. This happens in the Bible. There's this group, uh, this story that's always told around Easter. It's in Luke 18. There's two guys, two disciples decide they're going to leave. Jesus had died. He had left. He had told them he's going away. They weren't sure how long. They didn't know what was going on. So the crucifixion happens. They leave town. They're going to walk seven miles to the town of Emmaus. And as they're walking, someone joins them. They don't know it's Jesus yet. I'll ruin the story for you right there. If you haven't read it, it's Jesus. <clears throat> it's always Jesus, and um, <clears throat> and he comes and he starts walking alongside of them, and he goes, "Why are you? What's wrong, guys?" And the disciples look at him, and they're not given names. Some people say it was John and somebody else, uh, but they 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 look and go, "Haven't you heard?" And and they goes no, and then they start telling him all about Jesus, and they start telling Jesus about Jesus, which is kind of funny. And then they get to the end of it, and as as they're talking, the man that they're walking with starts telling them the story of the God of the of Jesus through the prophets and the law of the Old Testament, and how everything pointed to this, and they didn't know it was him yet until he broke bread. And then they probably saw his hands or something triggered. Hey, didn't he do this like last night? What's going on? And so they, they were triggered. Oh, this is Jesus. And then he was gone. It, there's something in this. In the middle of their long path of grief, in the middle of their disappointment, there was no time that Jesus wasn't with them. They were lost in grief. But as they're lost, as they're wandering seven miles to Emmaus, which is a long walk, Jesus is with them in every step of the way. The thing about those times where we can't see Jesus in our lives, where it's grief or troubles or betrayal or whatever times troubles happen to you, the hard part is that it's so ambiguous. There's a ton of questions that happen. What if this happened? What did, what did I do wrong? What did they say? What am I supposed to say? Everything is in flux. It's ambiguous. But if there's something that's not ambiguous about those times, it's the presence of Christ in the middle of it. You may feel ambiguous. The people around you might feel ambiguous. Jesus isn't. And his promise to be with you, no matter what you're going through, still stands. So that's things that we, we don't know how long grief's going to last. We don't know the stages behind it. But we do know, even in the things that we don't know, that Christ is with us in the middle of it all. So what do we do about it? Things we know, there's things we don't know, and now there's the now what? Remember how many times Jesus told his disciples that they're going to find trouble? Any of you were awake then? Four times? Four times? Good job. You get a gold star. Four times, you're going to have trouble. 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 Five times, in the midst of all their troubles, the Holy Spirit was mentioned. Five times, in the midst of the trouble, Jesus says, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you another that can help. I'm going to send you the Spirit of Truth. Uh, In chapter 15, when the advocate comes... Whom I will send. The Spirit of truth goes on to testify about me. Chapter 16, I have much to tell you, much more than you can bear. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you to the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears from the Father. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Whenever trouble is mentioned in every one of these things, there is a promise that goes along with it. There is a presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned right along the side of them. In fact, we can look at this and you can see the central theme in, these, in this farewell passage is troubles. But the more you study it, the more you look at these four chapters, the central theme in these four chapters is the presence of the Spirit in the midst of the troubles. We look at the Holy Spirit and we usually think that the Holy Spirit is, is just these supernatural gifts and all the, the miraculous and the tongues and the prophecy and the weird things that happen in the book of Acts. We, that's what we think about. But the first time that Jesus introduces the Spirit, it's someone who's going to bring them peace. It's someone who's going to bring confidence. It's someone who's going to bring a steady presence in the middle of the storm. The question of what we do when we're going through the hard difficulties of our life is to rely on the Spirit just as Jesus tells them to do. And he tells them this, and they had no idea what what Jesus was talking about. This is is a new thing for them. The the Spirit? Okay. They'll learn about this in Acts 2 when when that all happens. But Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. The Spirit's going to be with you. It's something, the Spirit's going to give you this peace. Augustine, the church father, said this, Through the Spirit... We have nothing less than the spiritual presence of Christ himself. When Christ seems absent, when troubles seem to pile up, you have the very presence of Jesus with you through his spirit. And in many ways, the church has uh, been a little bit off in talking about the spirit in this way. The spirit's a calming presence in the time of trouble. It does way more than gifts. Here in these four chapters, we we see the spirit as comfort, We see the Spirit as peace. We see the Spirit as guidance. We see the Spirit as conviction. We see that the Spirit in some cases brings uh, His presence to us, which is more supernatural often than the actual supernatural gifts that we get through the Spirit. To have a peace in the middle of your troubles is often more wowing to people than being able to have a picture when you pray. This is the power of the Spirit. Have you ever had something happen in your life and you just have this inexplicable peace about it? I tried to count the other day about what, in our lives, what we've had, or or me personally. We had a fire burn down, but even during and after the fire, there was a peace that even though all of our stuff was gone, we're going to be okay. I remember talking to CNN. They came and did like a, a news interview up the street, and the reporter was like, you're not freaking out. My dad was in Nepal at the time. I was helping my mom get stuff, that dig through the ashes. It's like, no, we'll be fine. This is fine. And for some reason, there was a peace about me. There was a peace uh, w- when we decided to move here. We had no idea where we were going to live until two days before we got here. But there was a peace that even in this time of transition, God was going to be with us. There was a peace from the Spirit. There was a peace in dad's death a time where you lose the loved one, there was still a peace. Uh, We don't understand it. We don't, and sometimes it's hard to find that peace. Sometimes the grief comes back three years later, but there's still peace in the middle of it. There was a peace in the struggles that that Carrie and I had with miscarriages and, and loss. There was a peace that even in those horrible times, God's still working, God's still with us, even in the middle of the troubles. There was a peace and steadiness in all the disappointments that we've had in our life. In everything that we've come across, in every kind of, of disappointment and trouble and trial, there's always been a peace. Those times were chaotic. Those times were filled with grief. but the And the presence of Jesus at times was foggy at best. But the Holy Spirit enabled us to have that object permanence that Jesus was with us at the exact time. We don't understand it. Sometimes it's hard to explain, but in those times we didn't have answers to the ambiguity, we were given the presence of Jesus Himself. I don't know where you sit today. I don't know where you sit with troubles piling up or decisions that are faced in front of you. I don't know how this hits you, but I can promise you this one thing I do know, and one thing I know what to do next is that the Spirit will be with you to guide you, to give you peace to make his presence known, to work in and around you. Life is confusing. The Bible's confusing. Jesus sometimes doesn't make sense. Why are troubles happening to me? I thought I was supposed to get off scot-free when I was following Jesus. Never says that. But I I thought troubles will never happen to us. But this is happening. I promise you this. The Spirit is with you. And so today as it's the first Sunday of the month we practice communion and the communion is simply a, a reminder of the very presence of Jesus with us. As we observe communion we observe uh, that Jesus died for our sins and, and 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 was was buried and then resurrected. And one of the things that had to happen in order for us to have the spirit according to Jesus was Jesus had to go in order that we can have the spirit with us. And so today, as we remember the presence of Christ the death and the resurrection of Christ, we also remember the presence of him in your daily life. we practice communion here by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it into the cup and then eating it as you're as you're ready but before you come, I just I want you to do this so I want you to pause I want you to do a little inventory of your life is there something in your in your life that that needs to be confessed? Is there something in your life that needs to be talked about with God? Is there someone in here that you need to have a conversation with in order so you can come to the table or come to communion with a clear conscience? I want you to do a little examination. But then I want you to ask God for his very presence. Uh, We call it filled with the Holy Spirit. You're all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have Jesus, you're filled. But it's an ongoing process of being filled with the Spirit. Maybe some of you need to feel his presence more today. Maybe some of you need to uh need the comfort. Maybe some of you need the conviction. The spirit is working and it always working. So I, before you come today, I want you to give it some space. Allow God to work. So I'm going to pray. As I'm praying if the communion servers will come forward, uh and then when you're ready, come. Would you pray with me. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are here in our midst. We thank you that you never abandon. You never let go. In the middle of our fears, in the middle of our doubts, you're still with us. Paul says this, that that, that, that height... Not depth, nor principalities, nor the powers that around us can keep you away from us. Your presence is with us. And so God, as we pause here today, we pray for your spirit to move. Would you give peace where there needs to be Peace. Would you give courage where there needs to be courage? Would you give clarity where there needs to be clarity, wisdom where there needs to be choices made? Would you give convicting? And along with convicting, may you bring repentance and may we have a right relationship with you. So, Lord, now we pause. spirit come minister to us today it's in your name jesus we pray amen Uh, communion is available Uh, all the crackers are gluten-free so you can rest easy come when you're ready